welcome to This Is Work. I'm Shelley Johnson and we have rebranded from my millennial career to This Is Work. It's the best day ever. I'm so excited to share with you the new brand, new podcast name, same people. Sorry about that. Today on the show, I'm going to share the number one skill you need to build in your career in 2024 and it's probably not what you think. Before I share it though, I just want to say, because we rebranded, it's a big day. It's like a momentous occasion. And I just want to say thank you so much to every single person who's listened to this podcast for the last four years. We started this in 2020 and it's been an amazing, amazing opportunity and I've just loved, nothing has made me happier than hearing all the stories from our listeners of their career wins, of all the amazing opportunities they've gotten just from having listened to this and I, I just means so much to me when I get those messages on LinkedIn saying what you've done by listening to this podcast and yeah I want to say thank you I'm just so grateful to get to have these weekly conversations with you I'm going to ask you one thing to do me a massive favor. If you have gotten anything out of this podcast, one thing that's benefited you, I would love if you could give us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple or even both. Like just jump on, do both. Because we've changed the podcast title, it's just going to help us get the pod out there. And I'd love if you can share it with a friend. If you enjoy this podcast, get it out there, share it with a friend. It means so much to me. Let's get into it. This is a podcast about making work work. You'll learn about leadership, career growth, and how to navigate those weird work challenges. I run a HR consulting business called Boldside, where I help leaders build epic team cultures. If you lead a team or run a business and you think I can help, let's connect on LinkedIn. My name is Shelley Johnson, and this is work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is the number one skill you need to build in 2024. To me, if you do nothing else, focus on building this skill and it'll set you up for a really successful long-term career, whether you're in leadership, whether you're an individual contributor, whether you are in a technical role, whatever it is, this is so important. And the skill, it's not what you think. The skill is anti-fragility. If you haven't heard of anti-fragility, it's a concept that comes from Nassim Taleb and I've talked about him on the podcast before. He wrote a book called Anti-Fragile and I'm going to talk about what it is first because it might be a new term for a lot of people and I think it's really important that we explain what it actually means because this is something that if you lead a team, I want you to try and build this with your team. If you work in a technical role, you're an engineer and you're a solo kind of operator you still need to build this as well. It applies across the board. So let's get into what anti-fragility means. We talk a lot about resilience, but anti-fragility goes further than resilience. So resilience is kind of defined as the ability to bounce back from significant stress, change or adversity. But anti-fragility goes further than that. The way we would define anti-fragility is that it's the ability to benefit from stress, shock and challenges. And people who are anti-fragile, people who've built this skill over their working life, 
use like chaos and disorder and all the crazy stuff that happens in life to their advantage to become stronger. So you can see the distinction. Resilience is about bouncing back. So recovery. Antifragility is about strengthening as a result of the bad thing that happens in your working life. Nassim Taleb in his book, he talks about the hydra. And in Greek mythology, the hydra is like a dragon, except it has like heaps of heads. So it's like got five heads. And every time one of its heads get cut off, two will grow back in its place. So the hydra kind of embodies this idea of anti-fragility, that it benefits from being attacked, that it benefits from challenge and stress and pain. And if you're thinking, yeah, that's great, but that's Greek mythology. How can I apply that into my day-to-day life? Well, we have anti-fragile systems all around us. And so if you think right now, the brain is anti-fragile. So the ability to rewire your brain and rewire new neural pathways is how your brain does this all the time. And in the same way, there are anti-fragile systems that we see all the time in life, like a diamond is anti-fragile. It becomes a diamond through pressure. And in the same way, we can use pressure to our advantage. We can use change. We can use unknowns. We can use that and actually benefit from it. So let's talk about the difference between fragile systems and anti-fragile systems. So if you think about a wine glass, a wine glass is fragile. If it drops, it breaks. So you can't repair it. I've like dropped so many wine glasses in my time. Can confirm you cannot repair it. A plastic cup, on the other hand, is resilient. So if you're a millennial, you remember this. As a kid, when you're eight years old or around about then, there were these plastic cups and they were like, kind of Disney themed usually. So it's got Simba on it or something. And they're like see-through plastic cups with a Disney character. And then in the middle, it was like water or something and like glitter floating down. And if you turn it upside down, it would be like moving around. Anyway, if you dropped one of those cups, it would just live on forever. Like it would just, like nothing could hurt those cups. So they're the most durable objects ever. And that shows it's resilient. If you drop it, it doesn't break, but it doesn't benefit from being dropped on the ground. It simply recovers. It doesn't, it doesn't get worse as a result. And then again, we have an anti-fragile system. So the wine glass is fragile. The plastic cup is resilient. You drop it, it doesn't break. An example of anti-fragility that we see all the time is your immune system. So your immune system is something that as it gets exposed to illness, colds, flus, all the things, it gets stronger. It gets better over time. And research has shown that kids who are in a sterile environment for an extended period, let's say they're in hospital for an extended period, and not exposed to as much colds, flus, kind of -of run-of-the-mill like sicknesses, their immune system is worse off because they're not exposed to illness. Now on the flip side, (laughs) and any of the parents listening will relate to me on this, when you have little kids, you send them to daycare and they just get sick all the time. And I remember like Bowie, my little youngest, he's like, I don't know, nearly three. He was at daycare in the first year of his life and any parent will relate to this. I would get the call every week, like without fail, every week. Bowie's got conjunctivitis. Bowie's got 
gastro. Bowie's got hand, foot and mouth, like every single disgusting, like just disgusting thing you could possibly get, he would get. And I felt like I'm sending them and the whole 12 months, he's pretty much sick the entire time. But then after that first 12 months, he like never gets sick now. He's got this super strong immune system. And that's what happens when we get exposed to stress or we get exposed to things that are challenging, our immune system gets stronger. And in the same way as people, we need to build this skill of anti-fragility in our career and our working life. But it is not easy to do because as you're listening to this, you're probably like, great, so you're telling me I have to expose myself to challenges, difficulty, chaos, disorder. My answer would be yes. But here's the thing. Whether you choose to expose yourself to it or not, like whether you go, okay, I'm going to get comfortable with this, I'm going to actually lean in, or you go, you know what, I don't like this, this is like too painful, it will happen anyway. Because if you think about your working life, let's say our career is 40 years, in 40 years, so many challenges, unknowns, difficulties, things that you would never predict will come up in your working life. And people who are anti-fragile can respond really well to this and not just like bounce back like resilient people, which is awesome, but they go further than that. They actually benefit from the disorder and chaos. And that's the definition of anti-fragility, like something difficult happens and you, instead of like avoiding it, instead of retreating from it, you lean into it and go, you know what, I'm going to use this to my advantage. Like, yeah, it sucks. We're not gaslighting ourselves to be like, it's awesome, it's so good. Like, no, but we are going, okay, this has happened, acknowledge it, like not my ideal scenario, but how can I benefit from this? And how can I use the challenge to my advantage? And I want to talk and dig in more to why anti-fragility matters. And let's, let's rewind for a sec Back to 2019, I feel like we need like some music underneath this to just like rewind our minds because it feels like a lifetime ago. If you think pre-COVID, 2019, imagine yourself at the staff Christmas party. Like you're at the Christmas party, you know, over a glass of wine and someone comes up to you (laughs) from work and says, hey, I just need to tell you something that's going to happen next year. In March 2020, the entire world is going to go into lockdown. And you're like, what the heck is lockdown? Like, what are you talking about? Like, okay, tell me more. <laughs> and they're like, the entire world's going to go into lockdown because of a virus called COVID. You're like, okay. And this virus is going to change our entire world. And they go on to tell you about how all of the knowledge workers, anyone who's not essential services, will go and work from home and it'll totally change everything about the way we work. And then they'll go on to tell you about these things called LGAs and you're like, what the heck is an LGA? Like, I've never heard of that term in my life. Like, you know, like all these things. If someone had told you that in 2019, you'd be like, you've, you, no, that's not, you've absolutely lost the plot. But it just goes to show we can't predict, we have no control, we can't predict what will happen in the world. We can only predict that unknown things will happen and the world is uncertain. Fast forward again, okay, so we went through 2020, 2021, 2022, COVID, all the things. Then in 2023, this other thing happened where I can't remember when it was, but chat GPT entered the chat. (laughs) It was like, okay, AI, like AI had been around for a while, but all of a sudden it was like something we could all access and it was really starting to impact the way we work. And then we're like, okay, well, how, what does this mean for our careers? What does this mean for my industry? What does it mean for my actual job? And again, another reminder that the world is full of unknowns. We don't know what's going to happen next. And I've been reading this book by Morgan Housel, 
And he wrote Psychology of Money, his new book, Same as Ever, is so good. And he talks about this idea of as humans, we like to think that we're better than we are at predicting the future. But he said, actually, we're not that good. <laughs> we're not that good at predicting the future. Like history would tell us we don't really know anything that's going to happen with any certainty. But what we can predict is that there'll be a lot of unknowns and uncertainty. And so with that in mind, that's why this skill of anti-fragility is going to be so important for you, for me, for every single person listening, for leaders, for CEOs, for businesses, whatever you do in your career. To me, this is the number one skill you need to build. Everything else flows out of your ability to respond to complex changes and uncertainty. And not just respond. I've got to say this further because I think I need to just hammer this thing home. It's not just respond. It's not just bouncing back. It's benefiting from it. And that's the deeper part of this. And that's where the real value is. There's going to be things like redundancy, restructures, tech changes, management changes. There's so many changes that happen at work. But if you're an anti-fragile person, you look at it and you're like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but I actually don't need to know because what I do know is that I'm going to be a person who can not just handle the unknown, but benefit from it. So don't focus on the unknowns. Focus on becoming a person who can benefit from them. All right, we talked about what anti-fragility is, why it matters, regardless of what role industry you're in. Now we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to get super practical. And I'm going to share with you three ways you can build anti-fragility starting now. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want, like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, or if it's time to quit your job. You can find our book wherever you get good books from, or you can listen on the audio book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Now let's get back to the show. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All right, how can you become an anti-fragile person? Step one, get vulnerable. If you're, you know, I just want to say I empathize with you. If you're listening, you're like, holy crap, this is like the most like hectic podcast. Like you're telling me to just embrace all the stress, all the unknowns. And now you're telling me to get vulnerable. I feel you because vulnerability, I think vulnerability sucks. Like it really does. But it's really important. Like think back to the immune system example, me sending Bowie to daycare makes him vulnerable to illness. 
but it makes him stronger and it's part of the process. And so if we see vulnerability and getting vulnerable as less of a risk and more of a process, a step in the process to becoming anti-fragile, I think that's a helpful reframe. So I want to ask you, wherever you are right now, if you're on the train, if you're on your bike, you know, if you are walking or if you're listening to this on 1.5 speed, trying to rush through, I want you to pause for a sec, just slow down and ask yourself this question. What makes you feel vulnerable? I'm just pausing for dramatic effect. What makes you feel vulnerable? Is it putting yourself out there at work? Is it asking for feedback? Is it asking for that promotion that you've had your eye on for ages, but you haven't felt gutsy enough to put your hand up for? Is it going for the job when you're terrified of rejection? Like there's a lot of things that make us feel vulnerable. The thing is, there is no reward without vulnerability. To me, I think about vulnerability, it really is like just putting yourself out there. And you can't get a reward for anything if you don't put yourself out there. A good example for me last year of getting vulnerable Sydney Morning Herald and The Age asked me to start writing a regular column for them. And I was like, so stoked. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, this is a really cool opportunity. And I was really excited at first. And then I went into like this little spiral of like, okay, cool. Like, this is a great opportunity. Yes, I'm going to do it. And then I start thinking, but wait, like, what happens if I start writing stuff and people don't like it? Or what happens if people give me really negative feedback? And like, it's going to a huge audience way bigger than my little audience on Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever. Like, what, what about the negative comments? And I started like really stressing about, I guess, getting vulnerable and being, being exposed. And sure enough, I went, okay, yeah, that's a risk, but there's reward in it. And the opportunity that comes with this is too great to pass up. So I just have to work out, hey, there might be negative feedback, but the upside to me is so massive. So I did it. Turns out I was right. There was negative feedback and it didn't take long. I think it was like maybe like the third article. And I wrote this article about the three things your boss wants you to stop doing. And I thought it was really good. Like, I'm like, this is good. Like, like just feel like empirically, these are three things that your boss doesn't want you to do. And then someone went on to comment on it and they're like in a similar zone to me. And they commented something like, this is the worst advice I have ever read in my life. And they went on to detail why all my points are totally like crap. And I remember reading it and I screenshotted it and I sent it to a couple of people and I was like, oh my gosh, I've got this negative feedback. Like, what do I do? And they're like, so what? Like, you're putting yourself out there. You knew this would probably happen. But that one person and that one voice compared to all the voices who benefit from it, you've got to choose where you focus your energy. And for me, I think about that one person and their negative feedback versus all the opportunities that have come out of that writing for Sydney Morning Herald. And it just, it doesn't stack up. Like if I look at them on paper, I'm like, in my business, we got all these opportunities from that versus this one person and their opinion, which may not even be that valid. Like, well, you know what? At the end of the day, I chose to be vulnerable. I put myself out there and there's been a huge return on that vulnerability. It's been a great opportunity, heaps of upsides to it. Yeah, you get some negative comments here and there, but that is life. (laughs) And Brene Brown, the way she defines vulnerability is this. Vulnerability is the emotion we experience during times of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. And to me, the thing that stands out there is like the emotional exposure part. I think a lot of the reason why people don't apply for jobs or they don't put themselves out there at work or they avoid public speaking or they avoid 
getting up at a staff meeting to say something really important is because they fear the emotional exposure, their fear of rejection or fear of what other people think just really starts to kind of control and dictate their actions. And I think I keep coming back to this idea of building anti-fragility. If you want more opportunities, you're going to have to get comfortable with vulnerability and putting yourself out there. So I want you to think about what makes you feel vulnerable right now in your work situation? Is it asking your boss for feedback? Is it applying for the job that you've looked at on the seek ad 50,000 times? Whatever it is, my call to action for you is to go and do the thing. And yeah, you'll get, you might get negative feedback. You might get that one guy who says, this is, the, this is the worst thing I've ever read in my whole life. Like, you know, but the upside is massive. There's no growth without vulnerability. There is no opportunity without vulnerability and there's no reward without vulnerability. So do the thing. All right, step two is good stress. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just feel like it just keeps getting better and better. It's like, get vulnerable, good stress. And you're like, bloody hell. Okay. Good stress is so important to becoming anti-fragile. And there's a difference between good stress and bad stress. So eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, eustress is healthy stress versus distress, D-I-S-T-R-E-S-S, is stress that is chronic, that is actually bad for you, that is debilitating, fatiguing, and leaves you feeling powerless. Whereas eustress, the good, healthy stress that you have, leaves you feeling energized. It might make you feel uncomfortable at the time, but it helps you to grow. And so we need good stress in our lives. If you don't have any good stress, you're probably not growing. And that might be hard to hear, but that's the truth of it. You need good stress in your career. And at Kate Campbell, who uh, hosts the Australian Finance Podcast, we were having a conversation late last year and she told me how she does improv classes. And she's like, such an introvert. And when she told me, I was so surprised because I'm like, really? Like I could never imagine her doing that. But she's like, yeah, I, I wanted to make new friends and I wanted to put myself out there in an uncomfortable situation. I'm like that is huge. Like I feel like I can be quite a dramatic person sometimes. I would not want to do that. Like that feels like a very high stress environment. And so the funny thing with what Kate was describing, she's been doing these improv classes. She didn't know anyone. She rocks up. She gets up on stage, like has to do the thing. There's a couple of things. She shows the process and she's a really anti-fragile person. First, she gets vulnerable. She goes and meets people she's never met before in an environment that's completely foreign to her. And then the next thing she does is she puts herself in good stress. So she does an activity, improv, that inherently, like you have no prep, you have no idea what's going to happen. Like you, there's, it's all unknown. But what she's doing by doing those improv classes is it's like a masterclass in anti-fragility. And I think that is an example of we need good stress. We need to, it might be for you going to that networking event. And I reckon that is a, good, a classic example of like good stress because I don't think anyone wakes up in the morning and like, I want to go and talk to a bunch of strangers. But if you do, I love you because you are amazing. I want you to start finding ways to put yourself in this environment where you feel stretched, where you feel uncomfortable and where you feel like you're growing. And the key here is short term. It should be short term. So it shouldn't be chronic. If Kate was doing improv classes eight hours a day, every single day for the rest of her life, it would be chronic stress, I would imagine. But because it's once a week for like a couple of hours, it's short term and it's growing her skill set. And she talks a lot about how it helped her creativity. So there's this idea of exposure to good stress develops you professionally and personally. 
that is step two. So step one, get vulnerable. Step two, expose yourself to good stress. And step three is build your mental toughness. Someone said, I don't really know who it was, but I heard this quote somewhere that resilience is a defensive strategy and mental toughness is an offensive strategy. Offensive? Offensive? I don't know how to say it properly, but you know, like offense and defense, you get me. (laughs) Mental toughness is an offensive strategy. It's something that sets you up to win rather than being on the defense, which is bouncing back from something difficult, getting on the offense and being like, okay, how do I set myself up to succeed no matter what happens? So there's a couple of ways we can build our mental toughness. And the first one is moving from emotional reactivity to emotional maturity. I don't know what happened with the algorithm, but all of a sudden I just kept seeing all these videos of people having road rage incidents. Like, I don't know what, or I, I just started getting like inundated with road rage videos of people like traffic lights, getting out of their car, walking up to someone's windscreen and like knocking their rear view mirror off and like smashing their windscreen and like just crazy stuff. I was like, what is this? And I just got down into, you know, doom scrolling these road rage videos. And I was thinking about, okay, what causes someone to respond like that? Like what causes someone to go, you know what, I'm at these traffic lights. I'm really annoyed at that person. I'm going to hop out and I'm going to just absolutely just lose the plot. And I think this is a classic and acute example of emotional reactivity. When instead of looking at our emotions and giving a space from them and going, you know what, is that emotion serving me? Going, you know what, I'm angry and really pissed off and now I'm going to hop out of my car and do this wild thing. Susan David, in her book Emotional Agility, she talks about this idea of creating distance from our emotions. So instead of reacting to them, we need to create space. And the road rage incidents show someone who hasn't taken space, they've just reacted. But if you want to be emotionally mature, We need to move from that reactivity zone into an observer of our emotions. And I say this like it's simple. And I mean, it might be simple, but it's not easy. Like it is a really difficult skill. I'm going to read you this quote from Susan David because I think it really captures this idea really well. She says, we need to see feelings, thoughts and emotions for what they are. Information rather than facts or directives. This is what allows us to step out and create distance from and gain perspective on our mental processes, which then defangs their power over us. So if you think about the road rage person, they are controlled by their emotion. But what Susan David's describing here is that if you see your emotions as information instead of facts and directives, then we can look at it and go, okay, that's interesting. I'm feeling really agitated that that person cut me off. (laughs) What is that telling me? And how do I want to respond to that rather than simply reacting in the moment? The next area of how you can build your mental toughness is to keep your cool. I've been reading Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle is the Way, and I would recommend that to every single person. Like if you can read one book this year, read this. Like, oh my gosh, I just love it. I love his work so much. And I'm going to read you this thing because I've like highlighted it and scribbled over it. And I just think it's so eloquent in what he describes about how we need to keep our cool. When America raced to send the first men into space, they trained the astronauts in one skill more than any other, the art of not panicking. When people panic, they make mistakes, they override systems, they disregard procedures, and they ignore the rules. They deviate from the plan. They become unresponsive and stop thinking clearly. They just react, 
not to what they need to react to, but to the survival hormones that are coursing through their veins. Welcome to the source of most of our problems down here on earth. Everything is planned down to the letter. Then something goes wrong and the first thing we do is trade in our plan for a good old emotional freak out. At 150 miles above earth in a spaceship smaller than a VW, this is death. Panic is suicide. So panic has to be trained out and it does not go easily. I just love his writing. So I just wanted to read you. Seriously, get the book. I think what he says about panic needing to be trained out and that it doesn't go easily is so true. And when you have a difficult thing happen in your working life, which you will and which we all have, the natural and default response is to panic. And I was talking to someone recently who was made redundant and they had this kind of decision to make of, okay, do I panic? Like this is really difficult. It's a really difficult time in the economy to be made redundant, like hugely tough situation. But they chose to go, you know what? This situation, I need to start to respond in a way that's going to set me up for a win and panic doesn't do that. And so they were able to land a job really quickly and a job that they're way more happy in. And I think it's just a classic example of how do we keep our cool in situations that are really challenging? And there's no easy answer for this. And I think it comes with practice and also reminding ourselves that panic doesn't actually serve us. If you're listening, you're like, yeah, that's cool, but how do I practically do that? In The Obstacles Way and other stuff from Ryan Holiday, he talks about visualization. And when we think about visualization, we often think of positive visualization. So imagining ourselves like, you know, getting up on stage, doing the public speaking thing and just nailing it, which is super important. Like we need to have that positive visualization. But one of the other strategies that Ryan Holiday talks about is negative visualization. It sounds terrible, but it is so useful because if we visualize, okay, what's the best case scenario? And I want to see myself doing that. So let's say you're going for a job. What's the best case scenario is I get in, absolutely smash it, nail it, nail every question. And then what's the worst case scenario? I get in and I get nervous and my I get brain fog. Okay. Well now visualize how do you handle that? How are you going to respond? How are you going to show up as your best self and navigate that challenge and see yourself dealing with the challenge? And if you kind of have both scenarios, or maybe the challenge is you don't get the job, see yourself responding with grace to that whole process and responding in a way that your best self would respond. That to me is where you get that feeling of I have power and control. Like you feel really powerful when you do that because I can see myself doing an amazing job here and having the most positive outcome. And I can also see myself dealing with all the challenges and dealing with it well. That is so powerful. So if you want to learn this art of keeping your cool, do that visualization activity on both sides, the positive visualization, and I believe it's called the premeditation of evils. (laughs) Again, it sounds so bad, but it is so helpful and useful. Okay. And the last area for building your mental toughness is moving from self-criticism to self-compassion. And I reckon this takes the most amount of mental toughness out of the whole thing. You have to be so disciplined. Like it sounds like a woo-woo self-compassion. It sounds like, I don't know, like gratitude journaling. That's what it sounds like to me. But it's so hard to be compassionate to yourself. We've got all this wiring internally of automatic negativity bias where we're kind of wired to think about ourselves in a negative way. And so moving from self-criticism and having this negative self-talk spiral towards being compassionate towards yourself and saying nice and kind things to yourself is really, I think, is just so tough. 
And Erica Kramer, she's uh, one of my mentors and she is a confidence coach. She talks about this idea and I, I was listening to her podcast the other day. We'll put a link in the show notes to the episode. She talked, <laughs> it was such a good analogy. She talked about this idea that your mind is a nightclub and you need to be the bouncer. You're on security, you're at the door of your mind and you are deciding which thoughts get in and which thoughts don't. So that belief about yourself that you're not good enough, that you're not talented enough, that you're not going to succeed, that thought, you're you're on security and you're like, not coming in. But then the other side, this is what she says, the beliefs that you want to have in, you need to make sure that those beliefs are coming, those thoughts, you're letting those thoughts in. And so listen to her podcast, it's so helpful Moving from self-criticism to self-compassion is a sign of someone who is mentally tough. So my final thought around this idea of anti-fragility is if you build any skill this year, let it be becoming anti-fragile. Talked about a stack of books, Nassim Taleb's book, Anti-Fragile, The Obstacle is the Way, Emotional Agility, lots of things in this podcast. We'll have the links in the show notes so you can go and do some reading to build this skill set out. If you're on a team, I'd encourage you to share it with your teammates, share it around, like get this podcast out there. Here's my final thought I want to leave you with. When it comes to work, don't focus on the unknowns in your career. Focus on becoming the kind of person who can benefit from them because that's anti-fragility. Thanks so much for hanging out. If you enjoy the podcast, as always, give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. Can't wait to chat to you soon. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we live and work and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to this podcast. Before you do anything meaningful with your money, you need to be able to control your money. I can help. The Glen James Spending Plan is a complete spending plan budgeting system that will show you how to manage your money. It includes a downloadable spreadsheet that will tell you how much to put into what account each week and you will get control over your money within two pay cycles. Thousands of people have used the Glen James Spending Plan and it is now free. So download the Glen James Spending Plan and enroll today. 